Hey everybody, this is David, a.k.a. Macintosh. And I'm Diana, a.k.a. Mod, and welcome to another episode of Macintosh Mod Haven't Seen What? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. This week, we're continuing our spooky movies. Ooh! With 1978's Halloween. Fifteen years after murdering his sister on Halloween night 1963, Michael Myers escapes from a mental hospital and returns to the small town of Haddonfield to kill again. How, how have we not seen it? A big they shrug. Would, they would play it on TV. Big, I mean, Big ol' shrug. So this film had a $300,000 budget. Wow. It got bumped up to about three twenty-five to pay for... Our first actor on our list, Donald Pleasance. It grossed $47 million. Heck yes, it did. Which in like $2,008 is like $150 million. So that makes this one of the most successful independent films of all time. Yep. They did a good job. Did they? They made their money work for them. They did a good financial job. Well, half of that money went to the cameras. So everything else... $150,000. That's fair. So that's still, that's pretty good. Let's dig into Halloween then. Okay, so what what are your thoughts? John Carpenter is a master director. True. And unfortunately, in this movie, he has almost no cast to work with. There are a few big headline actors that mm-hmm. do a really good job for him in this movie. The rest are really terrible. For this movie, he doesn't have a seasoned cast that has a lot of experience, and it doesn't read very well in a lot of the scenes. The people he got for this movie don't perform in a believable manner, except for one. I don't entirely agree. There is one actor who I buy, and that is Lori. There's one character I actually Mm -hmm. buy. The rest, I feel like, are 20-year-olds, pretending to be teenagers and that's something i hate in every movie (laughs) it bugs the crap out of me unless Mm -hmm. unless you do the work to convince people that you're doing it like that's a thing with riverdale for me where they do a really good job of making themselves feel younger investing in those characters if you're just a 25 year old playing a 16 or 17 year old but you do nothing to change how you act it reads terribly on camera it just does it's funny you say that because jamie lee curtis was the only actor who was actually a teenager when this was being filmed she was 19 yeah Uh, so that's just funny to me all of the teenage dialogue the girls was written by deborah hill who is the co-writing credit on this film with john carpenter Interesting. Deborah Hill, this is her first writing credit ever. Uh, she went on to also write The Fog, Halloween 2. But she has had a very long career as a producer. She produced this, Halloween 2, Halloween 3, The Fog, The Dead Zone, Clue, Escape from L.A. So she's done well. Was she a frequent partner, producing and writing partner with John Carpenter? Yes. Okay. There is a disconnect for me for how artfully he he constructed this film, mm-hmm. as opposed to how inartfully the characters feel on camera. So maybe it's not that it's schlocky acting so much as it is you have a very, very high aptitude director, somebody with a very clear vision of what he's doing, mm-hmm. compared with a bunch of performances that are at best are really good 
but then a whole second tier that are mixed as to when you buy it and when you don't. And with a very artfully made movie that doesn't match up and throws you off. See, the only pieces of the film that don't read true to me, and this is just a disconnect that I don't know about, is the teenagers having sex in other people's houses. (laughs) I believe all the conversations about sex, but I don't know that I can believe that a parent would have someone over to be a babysitter and then their friends would come over with their boyfriends and then those friends would then go have sex in that house. I don't believe that. I was willing to suspend that because it's 1978. I, I know it's 1978. Like, I, I totally get that we all live on the same street and there's this collection of babysitters that just kind of get tossed around. So it's like, oh, Annie's here and then Lori's here and then, oh, something happens. So all the kids are together in the same house. Like, that all makes sense to me. That's fine. But this whole part of the plot where they're all just go they're only babysitting so they have a place to have sex, I don't buy. Well, maybe... Like, that's what's so bizarre to me. Maybe we can get into this with the writing and directing with John Carpenter, because I feel like that's a hallmark of his style. Boiling down to the lowest common denominator so that the story can be so simple that he can spend his time focusing on the image. Which is so crucial to making this movie work. I don't know. John Carpenter, his other writing credits uh, before this were uh, Dark Star and Assault on Precinct 13. He was kind of forced to write Halloween 2 and then Halloween 3. He did The Fog, Escape from New York, They Live, and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, He directed Dark Star, Assault, Halloween, Fog, The Thing. Yes. He did The Thing. Christine and Big Trouble in Little China. Along with a bunch of other stuff. Escape from New York, Escape from L.A., Mm -hmm. In the Mouth of Madness. He is a god of horror movies. He really is. Oh, yeah, he is. There are a bunch of his movies, this included, that I have just always Mm -hmm. wanted to see. And I've heard so many great spooky things about the thing. And I'm just like, I've got to sit down and watch this movie at some point. Well, in writing this movie, uh, he based Michael Myers on a boy he saw in a mental institution when he was there on a college trip he said that this boy gave him a look that was of just pure evil and that his directing and his thought process with michael myers was that nobody in the audience should ever be able to relate to him in any way it makes a lot of sense which oh absolutely we get no context for any of his violence uh uh-uh, no which i kind of like It's almost more maddening because there's no attempt to humanize him. Well, it's one of the smartest moves he makes because he's just got to be a cold-blooded killer. Mm -hmm. Back in the 70s, there was a rash of awful home invasion murders. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're dealing with the tail end of Son of Sam, the Zodiac Killer, Mm -hmm. Edward Kemper, Richard Trenton Chase. All these crazy, crazy murder stories came Mm -hmm. out all in the 70s. And so it's very easy to prey on people's fears with that, but then to add in the element, the even more horrific element of there is no explanation for Mm -hmm. Michael Myers. Yep. For all of these guys, eventually you can get at some psychological root, but there's nothing for him. There was a book written by Curtis Richards that went into 
explaining Michael's rage. And that kind of came out right before the movie. But it, it's a very rare book and they've just kind of written that off for the most part. You don't need it because that's part of the simplicity and elegance of the movie. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, I thoroughly enjoy the construction of this story. I think it's it's incredibly perfect in how simple it is. It clocks in at an hour and a half, and it moves incredibly mm-hmm. quickly to get us past he murdered his sister, he's in a mental institution, and he escapes. Mm-hmm. Now, we have everything built so that we can spend the most amount of time possible freaking you the fuck out with yep. him. Because that's the whole point. Which is great. Originally, this film was uh, called The Babysitter Murders. Okay. And it was supposed to take place over several evenings. But budget constraints. We're like, okay, it all needs to happen on one night so that we don't have to do different costumes, fewer locations. And then the idea with the studio came up with, well, why don't we have it take place on a holiday? Halloween being the scariest night, of course. <laughs> they shot this in the spring of 78, so they had a lot of trouble getting pumpkins. <laughs> and all the leaves that you see on the ground are all paper that have been painted, and they would throw them, and then they would put them back together and reuse them because they had no money. $150,000 at the end of the day is not a lot of money. When you get ingenious with how you're going to make and structure a story, the only the only thing you have to factor in, and the, re- the reason that the wheat rises above the chaff, mm-hmm is that you have to have the eye. And yeah. John Carpenter, this is where his directing mm-hmm. takes over, has the eye. Mm-hmm. I got sucked out by the acting a lot, but then he would bring me right back in with a cut-tight frame shot and Michael Myers sticking middle of the scene or sneaking by and then disappearing. Well, and and all of these shots are things that we have seen mimicked for years and anything that's trying to build suspense. I feel like I've seen this in so many things, but he's doing it better than almost any director the I've original seen. original usually does things best. I, not always. I said usually <laughs> in front of that sentence. I would, I would go so far as to say that his method of shot selection, mm-hmm. of structure, is really only outdone by somebody like Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. He really knows how to put that together, mm-hmm. which means that he can take a schlocky story and elevate it. And then when he gets a really good story, I can't imagine. This gets me excited to want to see other movies of his, including the sequel to this movie. Oh, well, there are several. There are several different timelines, if you will. True. Uh, I, I mostly want to stick with the main Michael Myers storyline yes. that Carpenter was a part of. He did not want to do the sequels at all in any way shape or form i don't blame him he wants nothing he does not like to do sequels of course not he's kind of got forced into it i am looking forward to halloween 2018 oh yeah because that is a direct sequel to this film oh yeah whereas the rest of them go off in some weird places despite jamie lee curtis's involvement in them more so it makes me want to see the fog the thing a big trouble in little china which i haven't Mm -hmm. seen Makes me want to see They Live, which is horror comedy. I'm not really interested in that, but I, I've never seen The Escape from New York, Escape from L.A. I would like to, because I do love Kurt Russell. What got me excited was the filmmaking hmm. and kept me really engaged with that. That's always the thing I love about horror films. And I'm not a big horror fan, but I love how how the horror film genre tends to have more filmmaking ingenuity and a lot of economizing. And I love that stuff. I love the the scrappy filmmaker stories. 
um, Michel Gondry and all his films. I, I've always loved his quote that having more money doesn't make you more creative. Yeah, the horror genre is the great equalizer. It'll prove who's a good director and who's not. In a lot of ways. You can cover up for it with mm-hmm. simple premises and things like yes. that. Because people will still go see it. Mm-hmm. But what will elevate a movie to last longer is the quality of the together. directing. Uh, so let's head on to our cast. All right. We start with Donald Pleasance playing Loomis. Sam Loomis. The psychiatrist. Yes. He only worked for five days. He made $25,000. And this was kind of a break for him. Before this movie, he had always played villains and bad guys. And after playing this movie, nobody wanted to see him as a villain anymore. They only wanted him as the the hero or the Avenger. And he worked a lot more with John Carpenter after this. He was in Escape from New York. I know he played the president. He's in a handful of the Halloween movies after this. He's a good staple character, especially if you're going to switch around the Mm -hmm. storyline. Keeping him there is a good tether to the whole franchise. Uh, we've we've talked a lot about his career um, in a, in our Bond series. He played Blowfield in You Only Live Twice. That was back in 67. Not to mention, at some point, we're going to have to sit you down for The Great Escape, which yeah. he does amazing in as well. I always knew him from George Lucas's THX 1138, mm-hmm. which is a weird movie that I don't really recommend anybody have to see. I just like that kind of sci-fi movie. But he plays this really interesting, cloying, smarmy character. Not a villain, but just a perfect character role. He's, and he's he's got this wild eye yes. thing to him that I've always loved. I kind of like and dislike him. You like him? Why? I like, I like that we have somebody who understands Michael. Like, as the audience, we're not supposed to understand Michael. We don't need to. But somebody within this universe does. And yeah. because he understands Michael, he knows how to stop him. Sort of. It gets really murky. It does get murky, and it's a little weird, but that's his purpose. And we find out that his whole job the last couple of years has been to keep him in jail or, or keep him locked up. Yeah, and I, I like that about him. What I don't like about him is he's a little one note. Well, the character of Loomis is written to be... This is the purest evil. And this is his crusade. That's fine. John Carpenter, there's a scene missing from this movie. Okay. John Carpenter wrote a scene where Loomis calls his wife. You know, that whole like, you know, not going to be home, blah, 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 blah. Uh Uh-huh. Donald Pleasance refused to film it. Because? He felt that Loomis would not have a family and he should have no past. Okay. I think... The context issue that you have Mm -hmm. made a shit ton of sense in 1978. Mm -hmm. Culturally, just as a horror movie thing, Mm -hmm. what's interesting is the juxtaposition. Mm -hmm. You have a utterly creepy, emotionless villain Mm -hmm. that we know nothing about. Correct. So the Avenger that comes to save him is also some kind of a loner that we know nothing about. In some ways, it's almost reminiscent of, and I bet you Cameron stole this a little bit, Terminator. You have this evil, unstoppable machine, and then you have this guy come out of nowhere, but is full of vengeance and going after this monster. That, to me, seems like, you know, we're, we're hailing the Avenger of this villain, whereas recently... We've had this turn with, you know, creating anti-heroes mm-hmm. and complex characters. Now, if this movie's made, 
as it is, mm-hmm. Loomis is not so devoted and out of context. No, he can be as devoted, but the problem is there's nothing that is humanizing about him in this movie. Other than he wants to stop Michael from murdering. The other reason that I think that works mm-hmm. is because you're you're supposed to empathize with Lori, not with Loomis. No, that's fine. And I, I do sympathize with Lori. That's fine. I'm talking about him. Right. And Donald Pleasance, in my opinion, played him very one note. I don't feel like I got nuance in any scene. And I'm fine with the parallel. You know, he's just like Michael, just on the other end of that spectrum. But there's nothing humanizing in the way he presented himself for me to like his performance. Huh. I I actually thought I liked it because of that. Because he didn't humanize himself. I don't know. There was something about that that, that intrigued me. It made him more interesting as a character to watch because then he's not, he, he's not the white knight savior or even just another, co- uh, another character. It made me go, okay, Laurie's the hero of this mm-hmm. movie. Yes. Loomis is this guilty... He's our exposition guy he's who a... failed at his job. He's a, Yeah, he's guilt-ridden. Yeah, and, and that's fine. Out to out to get vengeance. And what I also think is that sets him up perfectly down the road. I know Carpenter didn't intend to make any sequels, yeah. but I think what that does is gives more and more room to explore darker ways of his character. Plus, Donald Pleasance is just good at doing that stuff. So I I don't need the phone call with his wife. I could have just used a little rewriting with him and the nurse and maybe playing a different tone when he's talking with the sheriff. Stuff like that. I mean, maybe. I just, just I liked just it. Slight. I actually really liked it. So we and just differ there. I'm just bleh. <laughs> and next we have Jamie Lee Curtis. This is her first feature film. Damn it, she's so good. She is so good. And that woman has really not aged. She has barely aged. She looks amazing. It's shocking to me. This is the 40th anniversary of this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that it's specifically right now the 40th anniversary, but 2018 from 1978. 40? No, it's 40 years. She has played this character in five decades. My God, she's incredible. She's phenomenal. Even as a teenager. And she's so varied as an actress. John Carpenter looked at casting her as an homage to Hitchcock casting her mother in Psycho that gave Janet Lee a huge breakout. It did. Of course. Of course, he also treated her terribly. He treated everyone terribly. That's true. Especially if you were a lady. Whereas John Carpenter, nice note, have never heard a complaint about him. In fact, a lot of people say he's one of the best directors in Hollywood to work with. Jamie Lee Curtis, after her first day, she thought she was horrible. She's just like, this is not going to go on. This is going to be horrible. And she thought she's going to get fired. She gets a phone call and they say, it's John, it's John Carpenter on the phone. And he just wanted to call her and tell her that he thought the day went great. Uh-huh. And she and Jamie Lee Curtis has said that she has never experienced that on any other film set. And it was just like, Oh, that makes me feel so happy for you. I think he is one of those guys who he knows the movies he's making mm-hmm. can get real dark mm-hmm. and real difficult. And so he's doing everything he can to create a set mm-hmm. in which everybody feels comfortable to go there. Well, because that's... otherwise, they're going to hold back. Maybe. Film this out of sequence. So he had a terror scale or fear scale so she would know 
what level she needed to be on for which scene. Which I can I can guarantee you, if this was me, I would have required that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it reminds me of Eddie Redmayne talking about doing the theory of everything because that film, that film data sequence too, he had a chart that mapped Stephen Hawking's illness. So he would know uh, what ability he had and what he didn't have. Yeah. And it was just like, oh yeah, I would need that because that's how my brain works. I love it. Yeah. And what level of scare do you need to be right now? Mm-hmm. She worked for $8,000. Compared to Donald Pleasance's $20,000, this is where it is still important that we get uh, some pay parity. But also in 1978 dollars, that's that's still a decent chunk of change. It's a chunk change, but then, you know, she's the lead in the movie. I know. She is, is, for all intents and purposes, the hero of this movie. I'm not saying she deserves to have been paid more than Donald Pleasance. She deserves to have been paid paid more. The same. At the very least. Oh, yeah. Because she had no quote. She had no film credits to her name. None. So pay her the same as who you would pay your highest named actor because she's the lead. Again, for the time period it was, I'm just happy to know that she was treated well. Yes. That the actors on set were treated well and that John Carpenter wasn't a total asshole (laughs) because that's not the case in most movies. I love Jamie Lee Curtis. I love the eyes, the way she acts with her eyes in this movie, because that's a lot of what she has to do. And she is rough, for sure. Like, she's definitely green. Yeah, she's a little green, but at the same time, that really works in her favor. She's playing a teenage girl in this horrible situation, and I believe a lot of what she does. I was kind of surprised by the closet scene, because that Mm -hmm. is the big, awful, terrible thing. Mm Mm-hmm. I was a little surprised that it felt a little much Mm -hmm. at certain points in that. Mm -hmm. But honestly, you know, I think a big part of that is, one, we were watching this in HD, and that was actually good because you got to see how intricate his filmmaking Mm -hmm. was. But what I think it did do a disservice to was it didn't play as much of the shadows, and we missed a little bit of the fuzziness and graininess, so we could see any moment where any of these actors might have gone a little over or under the target Mm -hmm. where they needed to be. Maybe. And because he gets so close up on faces, there are times where it just doesn't read Mm -hmm. as well as it should. There's a lot of different reasons that could be, most of them having to do with budget. But that's the one thing where, you know, with her, it's just a couple of moments here and there where it's like, okay, I don't believe that part. But (laughs) you got me right back in with the next scene. So good job. All right, next we have Nancy Loomis Keys. In the film, she's credited as Nancy Loomis, and now she's Nancy Keys. Uh, she played Annie, the babysitter who got locked in the laundry room. And the garage. Uh, before this, she was in Assault on Precinct 13. She did this, but she hasn't done a whole lot. Uh, her last acting credit was in 1992. She was on a TV show episode called Lady Boss. Has she done anything in the industry at all? Yeah, I mean, she did a couple other horror films. She did a co- she shows up in some of the other Halloweens, but... But I mean, like, producing or anything mm-hmm. like that. Okay, she just went on to something different. Carpenter liked her so much that he named the character Loomis after her. Nice. Uh, Loomis has gone on to be a name that is used a lot in other films. It shows up in Scream. It's Billy Loomis is one of the killers. So it's, you know, 
nice little homage. I remember her from Precinct 13. She is good. I think part of it is that she, in Precinct 13, she read as a full adult. Mm-hmm. And I had a harder time buying her as a teenager, a teenager. in this movie. Mm-hmm. The more screen time the adult actors got, the less I started to believe they were adult or mm-hmm. teens. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the ratio was like, other than Jamie Lee, mm-hmm. if you were in the movie less, I bought you as a high schooler more. Yeah, no, that's fair. And vice versa. But she does have some legitimately good moments. When she's being sarcastic and eye rolling, mm-hmm. she's great. Uh, she had said that John Carpenter kind of written the role for her because he just, un- he really just liked her sarcastic way. She could have gone on to be really, really good. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, you know, life and different things made her go in a different direction. But she, she definitely has a spark there to have been something even more than what mm-hmm. she was in this movie. I don't get how she was locked in the laundry room. Like she got stuck. Like it, that was just so stupid. That's just like, let's build some tension with some stupidity. And then I remember when she spills butter on her outfit, so she takes off all of her clothes and puts on an oversized shirt. That is the one thing in the story that is a bit much, is one, any reason to get boobs on screen. Just any reason to get bare breasts, which look boobs on screen, butts and seats. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> gonna. I'm not gonna blame him for doing it because at the time that was what was gonna get people in the movie theater. It helps. Um, Still does. But the day. other thing is, there are some set pieces that are just like really. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff with Annie was that way. Now, on the other hand, the stuff with you know Bob and and linda that stuff actually made sense two kids sneaking off to her house so they could go have sex in the middle of the night yeah that actually kind of makes sense yeah so next we have pj soul she plays linda she's the one having sex and she gets strangled on the phone cord before this she was in carrie which is what helped her get this role john carpenter saw a reading of her saying the word totally they loved (laughs) it and they're like nope we gotta get her because they they felt like she sounded more like a teenager. From Brian De Palma to John Carpenter. Yes, she was in Carrie, Bloodbath. Uh, then she went on to Private Benjamin. She was in Stripes. She, she a... was in Stripes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, she did a bunch of TV. Uh, she was in Jawbreaker, which you still have not seen. Nope. And then uh, her most recent credit is an upcoming thing called Three Girls. So I don't know. I don't know anything about that one. but So she's still working. Lower, lower key horror character actress. Mm-hmm. Maybe doing some Hallmark now. Seems to be a little bit of the art. I mean, she showed a lot of boobs. That's true. A lot of boobs. So I'm thinking Hallmark may have passed on that. <laughs> I mean, she's admirably good at, at being an airheaded teenager. Yeah, she plays the blonde slutty girl well. Next, we have Kyle Richards playing Lindsay, the little girl that Annie is watching. And if that name seems familiar, it's because she's a real housewives of Beverly Hills. <laughs> she is. Before this, she she was in Escape to Witch Mountain. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, and then she did the Father's Knows Best TV movie. Uh, she had a nice long stint on Little House on the Prairie and Down to Earth. And then she was also on ER, which I just cannot place her on ER. She played Nurse Dory. But I just, I don't know. So she's had a pretty good career. She was on ER for an extended period of time? or uh, She had a decent amount of, I want to say about 20-ish episodes. So she was in there for like a, a 
a slot. She's doing all right. She's on Real Housewives. She's one of the only ones on that one that I actually like. <laughs> of course, she's the, the sister to Kim Richards, who was in Assault on Precinct 13. She was? And uh, Kim was in uh, Escape to Witch Mountain as well. L.A. is a weird place, man. Yep. And they're also related to the Hilton family. I'm I'm not going to go into how I feel about Real Housewives, but she does pretty good as a kid actor in this she, movie. She plays the little girl in a horror film well, just kind <laughs> of oblivious to things when she needed to be scared. She was scared. Okay. She, she did a great job. Yeah. Uh, then we have Brian Andrews as Tommy, the little boy that Lori is watching. This is kind of it. He was on a bunch of TV shows. He was in The Great Santini, did some more TV. That's it. But I'm sure he's made quite a living for himself going to cons and being Tommy from Halloween. Oh, yes. They all they all do. Which, cool. Like, that's that awesome. Fine. If you get to be in something like that and you just want to go around and talk to fans, that's cool. Like, I don't, oh, I don't yeah. blame you. As long as you're cool with that. And... Then we have Arthur Malay. He's a tiny little guest spot, but he's so recognizable, that voice. I had to put him on our list. He's the graveyard keeper. Right. He's been in literally everything what do i know him from though you know him okay he was in mary poppins okay he's one of the dudes at the bank yeah but you I, I, def- I think I... you definitely know him he's in hook he's toodles uh-huh that's him his voice is so recognizable oh yeah well i see his face and i'm like i know that face i know like, that face toodles. i'm looking at an imdb right now and yeah okay he's in everything oh yeah but he, you know what he looks like? He's like an older Jim Broadbent. Yes. Then we get into Tony Moran. This is his very first movie. He plays Mike Myers, age 23. Okay, so that is at the asylum, right? Nope. It's when we see his face. Ah. So when he's unmasked, that's Tony Moran. Okay. All the rest of the time, it's Nick Castle. Yeah. Nick Castle, he kind of got talked into playing Michael because he was just there to see how a film was made the shape he's he's credited as the shape because any time in the script it's just the shape we see the shape here we see the shape there he's only ever referred to by michael by other people that is such the perfect spooky script writing device uh that's modeled after the salem witchcraft trials testimony Whenever they couldn't explain something or something spooky or a ghost it was the shape this is the kind of shit that makes me so excited about John Carpenter. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's great. It's that kind of thought that went into the script mm-hmm. that makes me go, there's genius in mm-hmm. here. It's kind of a mess, but there's genius all throughout it. Nick Castle was a little disappointed that he wasn't actually going to be the face of Mike Myers. <laughs> but then it's like, oh, well, the whole point is that he's supposed to be an attractive man doing this horrible shit. And Nick Castle even was like, well, yeah, that's not me. <laughs> um, and one of the most common things that people would say to John Carpenter was like, oh my god, when they unmasked him and his face is horribly disfigured and crazy, John Carpenter would, you know, just be like, yeah, yeah. Tony Moran does not have a weird disfigured face. He's actually a very attractive man. They only added a gash on his face from where Lori would have gotten him. Yeah. And John Carpenter credits this to people being so engaged in the film they just assumed he was this disfigured guy well you and you forget the fact that it's like the six-year-old self that we see Mm -hmm. is just this little cute blonde boy Mm -hmm. that's the whole thing yeah it really is people 
when you make a movie that that's that's that terrifying, mm-hmm. which it did, you know, it doesn't terrify as much now. Yeah. But I can totally understand in mm-hmm. 1978 in a dark, kind of grimy movie theater how you would get freaked the fuck out by this, mm-hmm. especially when you hadn't seen something like it before, and especially when a lot of people were worried about actual people like this roaming around. Yeah. Nick Castle has had plenty of success on his own. He's the director of Dennis the Menace, Major Payne, Mr. Wrong, a couple of TV things. He is the writer for Escape from New York, Tap, Hook, August Rush. Um, and the character Nick Castle in The Fog was named for him for having done this film. And of course, he is and now forever will be Mike Myers. Well, uh, he did Mike Myers in this film. And he's doing the body. He's doing the shape in the 2018 film but he didn't do it for the rest of them wow i thought he did six actors have played mike myers interesting yeah um including deb hill deborah hill the writer she play on all the pov scenes in the beginning of little michael those are her hands oh yep Uh, they needed hands and hers were small enough and that's why they're really manicured (laughs) (laughs) makes sense whatever you know you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah. Especially when you're working on that tight of budget. All right. Now it's time to get into some trivia. We've covered some of it throughout our conversation, but there's more. There's always more. I imagine when you're working with this tight of schedule, with this tight of budget, there's always crazy ass stories. So let's talk about the mask. Do you know anything about this? I do, but I don't remember any of it. I know okay. I've heard stuff before. Okay, well, um, getting a mask made is very expensive. Yeah. The production went to Dawn Post Studios, their famous mask makers in Hollywood, and they said, okay, look, we can't afford to pay for the cost of all the process of, you know, doing the actor's face. and make, like, So if you do it for us, we'll give you points on the production, basically a percentage of the gross, which would have been really fucking lucrative. Yeah. Yeah, would, would have. have been. They refused. They said, no, we're not going to do that because that was a very common offer that was made to them. So the production team were able to get two masks. They did one that was kind of a clown mask that they did a, a red wig on, and that was to call back to the clown costume we see Michael in in the beginning of the film. And the other one, which is, of course, what we picked, was a Star Trek Captain T. Kirk that's right. Mask. It's William Shatner's face. Yep. What they did was they removed the sideburns and the eyebrows. They spray painted the hair and then they spray painted the mask, uh, that grayish white color, and widened the eyes. And that was the mask. Works. Works great. Uh, later on, William Shatner was told that it was his face that they used. He d- had no knowledge of, th- of that when it when the movie was coming out, but he feels honored. He said he felt honored. It was a 20-day shoot in the spring. Get it done. Yep, gotta get it done. The name Michael Myers is an homage to the European distributor for Assault on Precinct 13. Nice. <laughs> that gentleman's name was Michael Myers, and this was how he wanted to honor him. It's a little weird, but okay. Honor him? Sure, honor. The scene where Lori, uh, where we see Michael in the room, and he just kind of appears behind Lori. Yes. Beautiful shot. Amazing. Very creepy. Okay. That was done with the use of a dimmer switch. That was it. That was just a dimmer switch. You but don't, it looks amazing. You do not have to have very much in yeah. order to pull shit off. You really don't. Lori's, we don't find out her last name in this film. 
but her name is Lori Strode. She was named after John Carpenter's first girlfriend that he has decided to terrorize (laughs) (laughs) on film. John Carpenter gave very little direction to Nick Castle as the shape. Castle, okay, so what's my motivation? Uh, Your motivation is to move from this mark to that mark. That he told him to do basically nothing. Uh, There were the few moments where he had, now turn your head to side to side when he's looking at the body that he's hung up. I believe that's Brad. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, that that was as crazy as he got with his direction. Well, again, that it is... It works. It's perfect. Because he shouldn't have any emotion. Nope. He shouldn't see anything. And he's covered by a mask. Mm-hmm. So all you need is the basic body movement. Mm-hmm. Because we're going to focus on that. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, it's a genius move. Lester the dog was, quote-unquote, killed by its trainer. The trainer was the one doing the thing that made it go limp which all he did was just go limp <laughs> well he was the dog had to be trained to do that so yeah. the trainer did that um the doggy he was you, so cute if you include the dog the body count in this film is six yeah there's that's one thing that gets remarked on there is very little blood and gore in this movie they wanted to be very restrained with the blood john carpenter didn't want it to just be all over the place so he he it was it was very minimal Oh, this is probably my favorite piece of trivia. In the beginning, in the POV, uh, when Michael's watching uh, his sister, his sister Judith, and her boyfriend go upstairs, it is three minutes, 54 seconds into the movie. By five minutes, that guy is downstairs dressed saying goodbye. Meaning they only had one minute and six seconds to have sex. (laughs) We see it in in the scene with Nancy and Bob, too. Yeah. that, That one could have been a little bit longer. But I just love... That someone sat there. How long did it take for them to have sex? A minute, six, and they were they were dressed again. Yeah, that sounds about right for high school. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's all I could think. I just love that when Nancy's it, it made like, me oh, so happy. That, Nancy's like, oh, that was great. What? <laughs> uh, that's Linda. Sorry. Uh, that's a lovely story to get us into the who could have been better. Oh. We have a little bit, not a lot. So we have the character Bob. Who's having sex with Linda, played by John Michael Graham. He could have been played by Dennis Quaid. Okay. At the screening of this film, PJ Souls, who, you know, she's very comfortable with her nudity. uh, She was sitting in the movie theater and she says, do you see anything you liked? And someone sitting right in front of her said, yeah, baby, I do. And Dennis Quaid, who was dating PJ at the time, says, do you want me to go beat that guy up? She's like, no, it's fine. <laughs> so, do we like who we got for Bob, or would we have rather had Dennis Quaid? Well, we would have rather had Dennis Quaid because he has, you know, emotions and character. This guy's just a drunk doofus, and he looks like he's 27. Oh, yeah, the glasses don't help. It Oh, the glasses make it worse. So much worse. Yeah, no. no. Dennis Quaid would have had, like, you know... Some actual charisma mm-hmm. that would have been interesting and engaging. Be like, ooh, that's an interesting character actor. But no, no. He, I mean, there's no contest there. Oh, okay. A movie star versus a nobody? I'll go with the movie star. Yeah, sometimes the nobody knocks it out. He didn't. He did not. <laughs> All right, next on Who Could Have Been Better, Lori. So we cast Jamie Lee Curtis. But John Carpenter's first choice was an actress named Anne Lockhart. I've heard that name. 
She did a lot of TV in the 70s. She was on an episode of Three for the Road, Happy Days, Barnaby Jones, Emergency. Uh, she was on the Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew miniseries, Mysteries, Battlestar Galactica in the 70s. That might be where I kind of know her. She's an episode of Chip. I mean, she did a ton of TV. Okay, so she did 70s television. She did a ton of 70s television. I'm trying to see if there was something recent. Oh, she's on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. So yeah, she's just somebody who was around. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. Nope. <laughs> nope. Not not interested. That's a very easy answer right there. True. Again, movie star, working actor. I'll go with movie star. <laughs> so mean to working actor. But if I've got to pick between Jamie Lee Curtis and 70s TV star, I'm going with Jamie Lee. So next we have Sam Loomis. Donald Pleasance wasn't just the immediate choice? No. Hmm. Other people in consideration were Christopher Lee, Peter Ooh. Cushing. Whoa, whoa, slow, slow down. Okay. Christopher Lee. I know. Oh, boy. Christopher Lee was actually offered the role, and he turned it down, and he said this was one of his biggest mistakes. <sighs> Talk about a great horror movie villain turned into vengeance fighter. That had been crazy. Peter Cushing. Now... I know the name. What has he been in? I feel like there's a Star Wars relation. You're right. Is he Grand Moff Tarkin? Yes. Yes! That's where I knew him from. Okay. Okay. Woo! Now you feel better about life. Um, interesting. A little severe for Loomis. Mm-hmm. Who else do we got? Peter O'Toole. Nah. He's too big, right? Like, you need somebody a little bit under that high, high actor level. Okay. Mel Brooks. Interesting. It would have been interesting because the guy can do drama if he wants to. Yes. He just almost never wants to. Walter Matthau. No, he would have fucked it up just like he fucked up Hello Dolly. Jerry Van Dyke. Maybe. That could have been an interesting choice. Lawrence Tierney. Well. Moyer's father. Okay, now now we do remember his acting from Reservoir Dogs. There was acting in Reservoir Dogs? Yeah, he was he was the, the head boss who yeah. uh, was totally drunk during the time of that movie and couldn't remember his lines. Yep. Sigh. Kirk Douglas. Too intense. Probably. John Belushi. No. No. Lloyd Bridges. This was a year before Airplane. Because of that, I could say yes. Mm-hmm. After Airplane? Fuck no. That Fair. dude was so deep into Leslie Nielsen territory yeah. after that. Never gonna happen. Like, everybody who went from crazy television and bit character roles into the Zucker Brothers stuff, it was like, it was done. They were comedy for the rest of their careers. Abe Vigoda. Now, he could have done it. That could have been cool. He could have done it really well. Chris Christofferson. That would have been weird. It would have been weird. It would have been okay. But kind of gruff. See, he would have been a better sheriff. I agreed. He would have been a much better, better sheriff. sheriff. A lot of these guys would have been good as a sheriff. That's fair. David Carradine. Yes. Yes, would, yes, yes. That would have been good. Dennis Hopper. Nah, he's too manic. Fair. It would have brought a different energy, but you needed somebody who had that calm rage. Okay, and the last one of any real note is Yul Brenner. Okay, low-key, Yul Brenner played a good revenge dark hero type guy, so... Oh, yeah. He could have He could have been okay. Christopher Lee would have been the only choice above Donald Pleasance for me. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're talking about a guy going from a straight-up villain and 
Christopher Lee even being a villain way beyond what Donald Pleasance ever did. But Christopher Lee had that dark creepiness to him that would have transitioned so well into, I have seen the face of evil and I will stop at nothing to stop him. Yeah. That would have played so well. It really would. That man has powerful eyebrows. So that's all I got. Yep. (laughs) Didn't write anymore? Three pages. There's a lot going on in this movie. There's a lot going on. All right. So I guess we're going to come up with uh, some ratings. Is it Smashing Pumpkins? Yes. (laughs) It is. That's that's the funny thing. Because the second they smashed it, I was like, and thus Smashing Pumpkins was born. (sighs) You laugh, but it's true. I know. Oh, Billy Corgan. All right. Let's say three. I'm going to give a solid three. Like, the directing's great. We got some good performances. Creeped me out a lot as a kid. Creeps me out still as an adult. Just the thought of someone following me that way or staring at me. Yeah, that's creepy. So, three. I'm going to go with three. I'm going to go with three, but I'm a little harsher on it than you, obviously. Had the acting been a little more believable, I really would have gone a lot higher with this. Yeah. You know, and talking about it a little more, I don't know that it's necessarily that these actors are bad, as opposed to they didn't give themselves enough time to figure out how to believably be teenagers. Mm -hmm. They do the best job they can, Mm -hmm. but it just doesn't play. And the only person that I believe is really in high school is Jamie Lee. Had that level of acting detail been able to put into it, and we didn't have some occasional special effects like laughable moments, because Mm -hmm. it's just going to happen with a movie that's got this low budget. There's going to be some moments where you're like, this is stupid. And some of the writing moments that were stupid, this would be like a four, four and a half. But for me, it's really a three. No, it's it's three level. But all three of those Smashing Pumpkins were completely and totally fresh and would have been super awesome to carve into whatever jack-o'-lantern you wanted. (laughs) So. That's just unnecessary. No, it just means you should go see it. Mm. If you haven't. Like your boy here. Yeah. And I'm very excited to see the 2018 version. Very excited to see what they came up with for it. That comes out on October 19th. Good, good to know. Yes. All right. So what do we have next week? Uh, well, we got to go visit another uh, scary dude that you've never met officially. And we got to go head on over to Nightmare on Elm Street. Time for you to meet Freddy Krueger. This guy fucked me up. <laughs> I can uh, imagine he did. Yeah, a lot. And I like TV version fucked me up. So yeah, I'm a little concerned. I won't lie. Good, should be. <laughs> All right. Until next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.
Well, now we get to one that's like a much bigger who could have been better. And that's for Sam Lupus. So we got Sam Lupus. Lupus? I keep doing that. That's not the one. Like, you've ju- you just missed a couple of words. I haven't heard Sam Lupus yet. In my head, I've said it several times. 